John, chapter 12, believe it or not. John chapter 12 is where I stopped uh, three weeks ago and have been taking my time in these very mysterious verses, very important verses. I have sometimes kid that these are red letters, if you have a red letter edition of the Bible, so they're very important. Well, all black letters and all red letters are important, but when the incarnate Son of God speaks about the incarnate Son of God, who he is and what he has come to do, his identity and his vocation, his person and his work, we should really listen up. And he does this here in various ways, starting up in verse uh, 20 is the account given to us, I won't read all the verses, where at the temple, these Greeks show up and they go to Philip and they say, sir, we wish to see Jesus. I think I've told you some famous preacher put that line up on his pulpit. So every time he came up there, it said, sir, we wish to see Jesus. So they told Jesus, but Jesus didn't say, sorry, Jesus did something's hanging off this thing. Uh, Jesus didn't say, call him over here. He says this, here was his answer to Philip and Andrew, verse 23. The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. So the Gentiles come on the scene, and then Jesus uses that well-known phrase, Son of Man, and he says, the hour has come to be, for the Son of Man to be glorified. Good readers of John know that he has said before, my hour has not come. My hour has not come yet. Well, he's saying, it's, it's coming upon me now. And the hour was the hour of his death. And we could keep reading and see that. Verse 27, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. So the Lord Jesus here is troubled. Why is he troubled? Most likely, I'll say more than most likely. Certainly, at least, his trouble was caused by the contemplation of the hour that was coming upon him. He knew he was going to die a wrath-bearing death. It's almost as if verse 28 can be followed by verse 31. I think I mentioned that before. Let me just read those verses together. Father, glorify your name. Verse 31, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And here's the verse we're looking at today, verses 32 and 33. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. So we've been looking at verses 31 and 32. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the rule of this world shall be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. And I think I've, I just made the connection. Our Lord uh, continues the issue he announced in verse 28. Father, glorify your name. How is the Father going to glorify his name through the Son? Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to, to myself. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's what's going to glorify the name of the Father and the Son. Father, Glorify your name, and here's how that will be accomplished. 
the judgment of this world, the ruler of this world be cast out, and I will draw all people to myself. Now, all three of those results, judgment of the world, ruler of the world cast out, drawing all peoples to himself, is connected to, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth. So we could put it this way, if Christ and when he was lifted up from the earth, three results came uh, from it. The one we're looking at is the third one, and I will draw all peoples to the Son, uh, to, uh, to myself. The Son of Man will be glorified, and the Father's name will be glorified by the crucifixion of the Son of God incarnate, which has these three wonder producing effects judgment of the world, casting out of the world of this world, and the drawing of sinners to Jesus from all over the world. By the way, whatever this means, and I will draw all peoples to myself, it sounds, sounds pretty good. Okay, you could take it in a bad way. I'm, I'm the judge. I don't think we should take it that way. I'll deal with that next week. We have in verse 33 an explanation in part of verse 32. Verse 33 says, This he said signifying by what death he would die. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, this he said signifying by what death he would die. It is clear from these words that Jesus was using words as signs which signified his death by crucifixion, though without using the word crucifixion itself. I think our Lord often speaks in enigmatic words to get us to think hard and deep about what he's saying. He's going to be crucified. And somehow, some way, the results of that death by crucifixion are at least threefold, the fourth one being, I will draw all peoples to myself. Now note carefully these words. If I am lifted up from the earth, Several weeks ago, might have been a month or two ago, one of you at least came up to me and says, didn't Jesus say something like that in the earlier part of the Gospel of John? Being lifted up from the earth? And if he did, and he did, by the way, do you think if we go back there and read that section where he talks about being lifted up from the earth, that might help us understand what he means here? The answer is, John said, the answer is yes. So if you'd like to, turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 3. He used similar words in John 3.14. I want to read 3.14 through 16. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, now watch what he does here, even so must the Son of Man, that's pretty important. Jesus calls himself Son of Man in John 12 as well. And when he did it in John 12, remember I made the connection with the Greeks being present. Then he uses the title Son of Man, referring, him, referring us back to Daniel 7, where Daniel had a vision of the Son, the Son of Man ascending to the Ancient of Days. He was given a kingdom a people that they would serve him upon his ascension. This kingdom-building motif of the exalted Son of Man is promised in Daniel 7. Jesus made the connection in Daniel 12. Jesus is making the connection here. Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God 
so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So our Lord says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now, to what is he referring there? As Moses, okay, if you've read the Bible, even if you haven't, but you've been around long enough, you know that Moses is in the Old Testament, right? Jesus talks about Moses more than once. Um, Other New Testament persons talk about Moses. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, ah, Moses, Old Testament, serpent in the wilderness, the wilderness would be between Egypt and the promised land, God saves the Israelites from Egyptian bondage. And you remember the first generation wandered around for 40 years. They were uh, the grumblers, the, the complainers quite often. But before answering the question, to what is he referring when he refers to Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, let me remind you of what I said already about our Lord's death, because this is very important. He's talking, uh, he's talking about his death. John tells us in verse 33, right? Being lifted up from the earth is a verbal sign signifying by what kind of death he would die. But by what kind of death did he die? He died a death up on a cross, and we'll see what kind of death it was in terms of theological things right now. What was, what was the nature, function, or purpose of our Lord's death? Okay, so we know he's being lifted up from the earth on a cross to die. Why? Isn't he sinless? Yes. I quoted some words by the 19th century Scottish Presbyterian John Brown some time ago. I'm going to slightly alter them for a different purpose now. It is now time that we turn our attention to the question, how are the words will draw all peoples to myself? The result of our Lord's, here's the technical words, penal vicarious expiatory death is being lifted up from the earth. Now, what does that mean? It sounds technical. Penal, it's a penalty. Vicarious, it's in the place of others. Expiatory, takes the guilt of others, and he receives the punishment for them. So the question is, how are the words, will draw all peoples to myself, the results of our Lord's penal, vicarious, expiatory death? Now, penal, again, refers to the fact that our Lord suffered death as a penalty. Okay, so this is divine justice comes upon the Lord. Penal and vicarious refers to the fact that our Lord suffered death as a penalty, in the place of others. And third, penal vicarious and expiatory refers to the fact that our Lord's penal vicarious death takes away from others the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and ultimately the presence of sin. And if we were a Pentecostal church, we'd say, hallelujah. We can say it anyway. So this death's pretty important, right? As a result of this death... The incarnate Son of God says, as a result of this death, I will draw all peoples to myself. Now, keep those concepts in mind, the three I just mentioned. Our Lord's death is penal. It's the divinely prescribed penalty for sin. It is vicarious. It's in the place of others. 
and for their benefit. And it's an expiatory death in that it is the mechanism designed by God to deal once and all with all our guilt and sin and the consequences arriving from our guilt and sin. Keep those things in mind as we go back to John 3.14 now. Because the question was, our Lord says, as Moses lifted up the serpent, there's the lifting up language, in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw peoples to myself. You see the connection. I asked the question earlier, to what is he referring? Okay, we already know it's Moses. We know it's the serpent. We know it's wilderness. Um, I think it helps to know that this discussion that we have kind of entered into in John 3 is actually between Jesus and, remember the guy's name? Nicodemus. Jesus is rebuking Nicodemus, a theologian of the first century, uh, telling him things he should have known about the new birth. You must be born from above. And um, this is a theological conversation between that religious leader and our Lord. After Nicodemus acknowledged that Jesus was sent from God, Nicodemus acknowledges some good and right things about Jesus early on here. After he acknowledged that our Lord was sent from God, Jesus told Nicodemus something that he did not know or realize. Jesus asserts that unless one is born again, one cannot see the kingdom of God, enter the kingdom of God, or enjoy eternal life and all that that means. You must be born again. Jesus is telling then a very religious man that his efforts, this is crucial, his works, his obedience, are not what gets him the right to become a children of God, a son of God, or to enter or see the kingdom of God, or to enjoy eternal life. How can I enjoy eternal life? Not this way, works of righteousness which I have done. It's very important. And he's telling that to a religious leader in the first century. So, you know, it'd be like a slap in the face. It's actually startling. Our, our works, what we do, they do not and cannot get us into a right relationship with God. You can't get into a safe relationship with God by virtue of your works. And you don't stay in by virtue of your works either. You know how you stay in? No one shall pluck them out of my hand. Okay? You stay in by grace. Works display that the root of the matter is in you, but works aren't the cause, ultimately, of you staying in Christ. We cannot do our way into God's favor. And if, we have, if we're in Christ and we have sinned, and sometimes we try to sin our way out of Christ, what should we do? We should acknowledge our sins and go to Jesus. We shouldn't try to clean it up without him and then go to him and say, okay, I did wrong, but now I cleaned it up. Is everything okay between us? Well, everything is not okay between us in one sense, but everything is okay between us in another sense. Cough up the sin, ask the Savior to cleanse you again. In verse 9, Nicodemus asks this question. How can these things be, this regeneration thing, this born from above? And in verses 11 through 15, Jesus answers his question after scolding him in verse 10. And in answering this question, how can these things be, Jesus basically says this. 
These things can be because of who I am and what I will do. In other words, Jesus connects the new birth to his person, who he is, and his work, what he does. Okay, so go back to John 12. And I, person, if I be lifted up from the earth, work will draw all peoples to myself. Work, subsequent work. So it's very important to get both the identity and the work or vocation of our Lord right. Now, verse 13 um, in John chapter 3, notice what happens here. No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. So what Jesus is saying in this verse is that he has come down, he has descended, or in the language of John 1 14, and the word became flesh. And he uses the title Son of Man. Did you see that? Daniel 7, the bells should go off. Daniel 7, John 12, and many, many other places during our Lord's ministry he calls himself the Son of Man. So he's linking himself with the figure in Daniel 7, in the vision of Daniel 7, where the Son of Man ascends to heaven and receives a kingdom that will have no end, and peoples of all sorts are obeying him. He is the revelation of God among men. And then verses 14 and 15, Jesus uses at least three Old Testament concepts to further uh, his answer to Nicodemus. How can these things be, was his question. And here are the three answers. Because of the incarnation of the Son of God, verse 13, and two, uh, two answers. Because of the work of the incarnate Son of God, verses 14 and 15. Here's the verses 14 and 15. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have temporal life, but have their best life now but have a sinless existence on the earth right now. No, and have eternal life, okay? It's important to remember verse 13, no one has ascended to heaven, but he who has come down or descended from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. There Jesus claims that he has descended from heaven and will ascend as the Son of Man. This he did as a partial answer to Nicodemus's question, how can these things be? In these words, Jesus affirms his incarnation, his coming to earth, calls himself the Son of Man, and affirms his ascension. Now, what he does not do in verse 13 is tell us what the Son of Man was going to, going to do. This he tells us in verses 14 and 15. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, So this is the work of Christ. He's going to be lifted up that, ah, here's a purpose statement. Why was he lifted up? That whoever believes in him should not perish, that is, should not die, and then face a judgment unto condemnation, which will lead to eternal punishment. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life, not just creaturely life like we have now, not even creaturely life like Adam and Eve possessed from the hand of their maker prior to the fall of, into sin, but what we call eternal life, a quality of life that's certainly better than now, uh, you really hope, 
right? You have confident expectation that what Jesus calls eternal life is better than what we got now. Life's hard now. I had a friend in the ministry tweeted this the other day, and I know why because of his personal experience. He says, you know, most people that come to earth have deep wounds and scars from various tragedies in their life and are all, in the language of the Dutch theologian up in Canada, Mr. A, I'll call him, they're all up-jacked. He meant jacked up. You know, up on blocks and being repaired and have gashes and holes their gas tanks are cut open and the gas is all out and their transmissions are all shot. It's a figure of speech for it. We're, we're all, sorry, messed up. And then the, the pastor said, and so are pastors. Um, eternal life better be better than life now, right? It is. It's a quality of life better, way better now, and even better than the beginning as well. So what happens here in verse 14, Jesus tells Nicodemus what the son of man who descended from heaven is going to do. He's going to be lifted up. This is the John 12 connection. The son of man must be lifted up as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. So we have Moses, serpent, wilderness, and I'm going to say, lift it up. Here's what I'm going to argue. I'll show you it in a moment here. All of those things, Moses, wilderness, serpent, lift it up. They're all in the Old Testament. So what is Jesus doing? He's saying this is that, right? I am the person spoken about in the wilderness, which is really weird because it's a bronze serpent put up on the stick, and the being lifted up, though it's not in the wilderness passage, it's in Isaiah. And then you got to add to that, who's speaking, Jesus? How does he identify himself? Son of man. Where does that come from? Daniel 7. Okay, so we got wilderness, Isaiah, and Daniel 7 to look at. These words might seem foreign to our ears. Lifted up, serpent in the wilderness, Moses, but they were not foreign to Nicodemus's ears. Now put yourself in his sandals or whatever you were. He knew the Old Testament. Jesus is rebuking him for not knowing the doctrine of the new birth from the Old Testament. And now he says, basically, dude, Moses wrote about me. He says those exact words in John 5, by the way. Moses, he wrote about me. Luke 24, he does the same thing. And if Nicodemus says, well, where did he write about you? I just said it. Serpent was lifted up in the wilderness. Lifted up. I'm the son of man. There are three passages in the Old Testament that I'm dipping back into and telling you that this, me, is that which the Old Testament said would come about. So, would knowing this from John 3 help intelligent readers to go interpret John 12. I'm saying yes, and that's what I'm trying to help you to do. The better you know what the Old Testament says, the faster you will realize that what Jesus is doing is using the Old Testament to, to explain how these things can be, in this case, in virtue of what he came to do. He came to be lifted 
up. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. No one takes it from me. I offer it up of myself and I can take it up again. He came to die. Why did he come to die? Because the death that he died was penal. That it was, that is, it was a penalty. But he didn't sin. Well, he's not assuming his own guilt. He doesn't have guilt. Guilt is the liability to punishment. He's assuming the guilt of others. It's vicarious. But it's also, he just doesn't assume the guilt of others full stop. It's also expiatory. That is, the wrath of God that was due to me as a sinner is, if there was an arrow from heaven pointing, saying divine wrath right at me, it got diverted and it pointed at Christ. Those three technical terms and the concepts embodied in them are actually all found in the Old Testament. So Jesus is linking the Old Testament with the answer of how can these things be? He said it can be this way because I came to be lifted up from the earth. And what happens here in this verse, verse 14, is Jesus connects the Son of Man of Daniel 7 with Numbers 21 and Isaiah 52, explaining what he came to do. Okay, so now we've got to put our Old Testament heads on and turn to Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. This is the son, where the Son of Man language comes. And I'm going to encourage everybody to stick with me here. I'm going to tie it all together at the end. We've heard these verses before, if you've been here for the John sermons. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold... With the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. That all the peoples, and I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all peoples to myself. That all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Remember Jesus said that? Remember as well, some Greeks had come to Philip, a disciple of our Lord, and said, Sir, we must, we wish to see Jesus. And when Jesus hears the Greeks are inquiring, he uses the title Son of Man immediately after that. And it's not a slip of the tongue. He'd already connected himself with Daniel 7 before John 12. He does it here in John chapter 3, right? So I'm saying John 3, 14 evokes, calls upon Daniel 7 and says, this is what's happening, back in what Daniel saw in that vision. Second text that uses language from John 3, 14 is Isaiah 52, if you want to turn there. Isaiah 52, 13 and 15. Now, we're used to going to Isaiah 53, right? the suffering servant. This is still the suffering servant. But listen to the language here. Isaiah 52, 13 and 15. Behold, my servant, the Messiah, will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. Thus, he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what 
had not been told them, they will see. And what they had not heard, they will understand. Now, this comes right before Isaiah 53. And if you don't know what Isaiah 53 does, it talks about the penal, uh, vicarious, expiatory work of the servant of the Lord once he assumes our flesh. The suffering servant who would justify many, who would bear their iniquities, who would be smitten of God and afflicted. Now my soul is troubled. How did the Son of God incarnate know that he was, or why did he was his soul troubled? In part, he knew Isaiah 53. Smitten, afflicted. But the deepest stroke that pierced him was the stroke that justice gave, right? That, that invisible, you can't see it happening. God reconciling the world through his son by delivering divine wrath while he was on the cross. So there's two texts that are echoed, reverberated, that you can kind of hear if you're really thinking from John 3, 14. Daniel 7, Isaiah 52, but there's a third one. This is the Moses in the wilderness one. If you want to turn to Numbers 21, we'll just read verses 6 through 9. But before reading that text, it's important to realize that this text places us with Moses leading the people of ancient, ancient Israel from Egypt to the land promised to Abraham, what is now we call Israel. The generation of men and women that were brought out of Egypt wandered in the wilderness or the desert between Egypt and Israel for 40 years, complaining about many things. By the way, you ever wondered why the Spirit drove Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted? Because unlike the corporate Son of God, Israel, the incarnate Son of God didn't fail under temptation. Well... Here's Numbers 21, 4 and 5. Then they set out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient because of the journey. None of us do that. The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this miserable food, that is the manna, uh, the bread, by the way, amply supplied by God. People sin against God, right? Now listen to what God does in light of their sin. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people. This is divine judgment. So that many people of Israel died. So the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. Because we have spoken against the Lord that violated the third commandment. And you, intercede with the Lord that he may remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard and it shall become, it shall, it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. This is, Odd, huh? And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on the standard, and it came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. 
Now, serpents were sent by the Lord as a form of judgment. The people complain and ask Moses to do something about it by interceding for them. The Lord has Moses make a bronze serpent and put it up on a pole so that when people look at it, they will be spared death. Now listen to John 3.14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of God be lifted up. So he makes the connection. Jesus is connecting his mission, what he's doing, as the Son of Man who descended from heaven with the serpent in the wilderness being lifted up. He sees the wilderness serpent lifted up on a pole as a a prefigurement or as a type of his own work. That's somehow, some way back there, is pointing to something else that's greater than that. Because, you know, the people that got bit by a serpent, when they looked at the bronze serpent on the pole, didn't, by virtue of looking, get eternal life. They got temporal life in the wilderness. Looking at the bronze serpent in and of itself as an end in itself didn't get their sins forgiven, didn't get them a righteousness that's alien to themselves. It got them more time on the earth. But it's still pointing to something, but it must be pointing to something better, right? Because looking to Jesus doesn't get us more time on the earth. It gets us eternal life and forgiveness of sins and and righteousness. So he is connecting his mission as the Son of Man who descended from heaven with the serpent in the wilderness being lifted up. He sees the wilderness serpent lifted up on a pole as a type, as a prefigurement of his own work. So we could put it this way, just as the ancient people looked to the serpent lifted up and lived or lived longer or didn't die. So he is claiming a similar, though greater thing of himself, just as the Lord appointed the serpent as a means of temporal life. So he has appointed the son of man as a means of eternal life by virtue of his being lifted up. Remember, penal, vicarious. Forgetting the third one. And the third one, expiatory. Thank you. Somebody else remembered. The bronze serpent was not penal, vicarious, and expiatory, the way our Lord's was. You might argue, well, in a temporal, this world bound way, it did have some of those aspects to it. Yeah, but it didn't secure eternal life for sinners. But notice verse 15 in John. We're still in John 3. We'll get out of it soon. So that, okay, so let's look at verses 14 and 15 together. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that, or that, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Very interesting. In the passage in Numbers, they looked. They looked at the serpent, right? In the passage in John 3.15, they believed. Ah. Looking is replaced by believing, and physical life is replaced by eternal life, right? So looking and physical life were pointing forward 
ultimately to believing an eternal life. Also, because Jesus mentions being lifted up, echoing Isaiah 52 and 53, and ascending to heaven, it is right to assume that he means that the Son of Man is going to be lifted up on the cross to die and be raised and exalted to heaven, having obtained eternal life, which is a gift brought to souls by the Holy Spirit in the new birth, in the context, and all that that it affects, faith in Christ, union with Christ, justification, adoption, sanctification, and glorification, all that stuff. Nicodemus asked, how can these things be? Jesus says, because of who I am and what I have come to do. I have come to obtain, to to earn eternal life for people who deserve condemnation, judgment, and eternal woe and wrath due to their sins. In fact, I have come to receive divine justice in their place to set them free. That's why we're here this morning, by the way. Son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. I have come to give myself for sins in order that I might rescue the authors of those sins, the sinners, from divine wrath. I'm going to rescue sinners from God. You know, salvation Even the word salvation entails some sort of danger that somebody's save me. There's some sort of danger involved with the word salvation itself. What's the danger? The danger is dying without Christ. The danger is dying apart from God. The danger is dying in your sins. Remember, unless you believe that I am, Jesus said, you will die in your sins. I've said this before. Whatever that means, it doesn't sound good. It means dying unforgiven. It means dying without a provision for you, without forgiveness, without righteousness. You die in your sins, you face God on your own, and you lose. You don't win. You don't say, well, I'll take, I'll roll the dice. Oh, you can say it. That would be, can I use the word? Okay, not smart. Stupid. It's in the New American Standard Bible in the book of Proverbs. They use the word stupid. Christ, Jesus, came into the world to be lifted up, to save sinners. Paul, 1 Corinthians, 1 Timothy 115. Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners. Uh, Father, glorify thy name. The hour has come that the Son of Man might be glorified. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world shall be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up, and I will be, and he was, I'll draw all peoples to myself. You think that? I'll draw all peoples to myself is connected to the Old Testament as well? You'll just have to think about it because I won't deal with that until next week. Some of you already know. They're in the back row. A lot of stuff that Jesus says is connected with the Old Testament, right? Uh, Which, by the way, for us, looking at that, should comfort our hearts. Jesus affirms the truthfulness of the Old Testament over and over and over again. The veracity the infallibility, the inerrancy, and the authority of the Old Testament scriptures as they stood were confirmed by our Lord in many places. Now, what it got him in trouble is he was basically saying, hey, you know what they were writing about? 
He's here, and it's me. And they didn't like that. Why wouldn't you like this? The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Why wouldn't you like that? Well, it's because you don't want to acknowledge you're lost, right? But people that are willing to say, oh, man, it's way worse than I know and you know because I ain't telling you how bad it is. It's people that are willing to do inventory on their souls that go, well, if he came to seek and save the lost, I'm definitely lost. I want him. Whatever it means to have him, that's what I need. Because without him, I, you know, like you said, you can do nothing, nothing good, that is. When the fullness of the time came, Paul, Galatians 4, God sent forth his son as son. The eternal father sends the eternal son as the son who became one of us. Born of a woman, he assumed our nature. Born under the law, he assumed our responsibilities, our duties, in order that he might redeem. He assumed our liabilities, our guilt. Guilt means you're liable to punishment. When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might be lifted up from the earth. He said this signifying by what kind of death he would die. Death by crucifixion. What's the nature of that death? The purpose of that death? The the function of that death? Well, it's at least threefold. First one is it's penal. He's being punished, but he's sinless. Therefore, it must be expiatory. Excuse me. It must be vicarious. Whatever he's doing there as a penalty or receiving the penalty it must not be for his own crimes it must be for the crimes that others have committed that deserve divine wrath and therefore the third word is that one expiatory thank you my mind just goes blank sometimes probably because I, I i don't think i slept two hours last night that wretched time change but there it is But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might be lifted up from the earth, that he might deal with our sins. What a wonderful Savior. So that he might redeem those who were under the law and found guilty by virtue of it, that we might receive the adoption as sons. He became man for us and for our salvation. He who was not uh, he who knew not sin became sin for our on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. Him he being rich became poor. Remember that Second Corinthians eight nine. What was the what is the what are the riches of the Son of Man? His divinity. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. He became poor. What's his poverty? Flesh. What's our dignity? Flesh. What's the Son of God's poverty? Flesh. He took on creatureliness in order that he might repair it and bring us to the safe presence of God. And I... If I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples 
to myself. And that is the sermon. May God bless it. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And ask that you would cause those things that were said that are accurate, along with the intent of heaven, um, cause those words to burn in our heads and hearts, make lost people see their need for Christ, that lifted up one, make saved people see their need for Christ, that lifted up one. May we see his uh, devotion to principle, What shall I say, Father, save me from this hour, but for this hour I have come. May we see his love for sinners. Um, When we were sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. The Lord Jesus didn't become a curse for godly people. He became a curse for ungodly people like us. Make us to love him more, to serve him more and better, to honor him. We don't want to take the name of the Lord our God in vain, taking it on our lips and yet not displaying it in our life. So forgive us and help us and empower us and help us now to sing gratefully in light of the fact that the Son of God was lifted up and he is even now drawing people to himself. We ask for your blessings in Jesus' name. Amen.